0: The Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Thessalonians and we're starting at chapter 2 verse 17 can be found on the Bibles in front of you at page 1187. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you for we wanted to come to you Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker, In God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you.
1: Well, good morning, everyone, and thanks to Susan and Michelle. A happy Father's Day to all fathers, grandfathers, those who act as fathers in various ways. I- it is, of course, the um, first day of spring as well, and also International Bacon Day. <laughs> so something for everyone. <laughs> Let's pray and we'll get down to business. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your father- fathering of us. Help us to be good children today, especially as we tune in to hear your voice through Scripture. In Jesus' name, Amen. I've been here about five years now, so I feel like we're in a sufficient point in our relationship that I can admit that when I was younger, I used to write poetry. I don't know why you're laughing. I think more people write poetry than read poetry. For example, when was the last time you read poetry that either wasn't in the Bible or wasn't written to you personally? But I used to write some and I would give it to girls whom I liked. And I think that's brave on two fronts. Firstly, it's just brave putting yourself out there emotionally, like you're letting someone you like know that you like them. But it's also brave creatively, isn't it? Like what if they fancied you, but they just thought your writing stinks? I once wrote a poem, I gave it to a girl, I sent it to a girl I liked, and she didn't say anything about it. Uh, And so I asked her whether she got it, and she said she did, but she thought someone was pranking her. (laughs) I thought it was like some of my better material, you know? Carolyn, my wife, she's remarked to me that I don't write her um, poems anymore. But it's very hard to write love poems when you don't have that same longing and yearning. It only works if you want to be with someone and you can't be with them. It's the longing that kind of drives that poetry. Once you're with someone, it's just not the same. You've got to write um, about things you appreciate about them. Like, I'm really fond of this sardé chicken dish that Carolyn makes. Actually, we made it together on Friday. But not much rhymes with chicken, does it? You know, she's really gentle. <laughs> I worked out nothing rhymes with gentle apart from mental. <laughs> or lentil. Or maybe holiday rental at a stretch. And I'm not going to work. <laughs> that doesn't have to rhyme, you know, but I've found that rhyming is the best way to let people know they're actually reading a poem. Otherwise, they just think it's a strange note or a shopping list. <laughs> you know, I've got your note about Saturday chicken, a bit weird. <laughs> Love poetry, it doesn't work without that um, really fierce longing. And as we uh, hit up this next section of 1 Thessalonians, the longing of the Apostle Paul for the Thessalonian Christians, it's so fierce, it's so intense, it's so gushing that it reads like love poetry or a love letter. Well, why is that? And can that promote an enhanced experience of church and community and relationships for us? That really is our task for today. Uh, We're now in the middle weeks of our series in this neat little New Testament letter known as 1 Thessalonians. We've called our series, as you can see, Pleasing God While We Wait. And we've seen that these fledgling Christians in this fledgling church in Thessalonica are the real deal, genuinely converted. And we discovered last week they were the result of the Apostle Paul's ministry, which was a ministry that pleased God. Because it majored on God's gospel. It was motivated by a desire to please him rather than humans. And it was characterized by an up-close and personal methodology in which lives were shared, not just a message. But after a very brief time together, as, as short as three weeks, as long as three months, Paul was rent apart from them. And we read that today. And when we hear him talk about that separation, that longing, we discover something about fellowship. Uh, We learn about the priority of fellowship, the joy of fellowship, as well as hindrances to fellowship. Well, how do we please God while we wait for his son to return? Well, one way is that we desire and prioritise fellowship. We're jealous for its joys, despite the hindrances. And, And like a kind of amateurish love poem, I discovered this passage before us today is it's sort of got matching couplets where each idea at the end of chapter two uh, is matched by a corresponding idea in chapter three about fellowship. And when I use that word fellowship, it can sound a bit um, weak and limp to me. I'm, I'm using it in the robust, muscular sense like solidarity, like camaraderie, like I'm in a trench, you're on my left. You're on my right and I need both of you if I'm going to get out of here alive. Okay, That sense of the word. And the first thing we see today is the strong desire in the Apostle Paul for fellowship with the Thessalonians. There's just an intensity to his desire for it. And you see it in the opening verses. So read along with me in uh, verse 17 of chapter 2. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did, again and again. You might remember that after a very short time in Thessalonica, the Jews there formed a lynch mob with some bad characters. They started a riot in that city. They pinned the blame squarely on Paul and his companions, so much so that the believers there had to bundle Paul off to the neighboring town of Berea. During the night. And when the Thessalonian Jews found him doing the same thing in Berea that he'd done in Thessalonica, that is, proclaiming the gospel of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which opens up the possibility of forgiveness for sins and a relationship with God, when he was proclaiming the gospel boldly in Berea, they did the same thing there. And so Paul was sent away to the coast and then southwards onto the capital of Athens. And that separation hurt him. And it produced within him a strong desire for reunion. But you've got to admit, he lays it on pretty thick, doesn't he? We were orphaned when we were separated from you. I mean, really? It produced an intense longing to be reunited with them, so much so that he made recurring attempts to be with them, but was clearly thwarted. It seems Uh, from the book of Acts that Silas and Timothy stayed back in Berea at least for a time while Paul was in Athens but he was so clearly agitated by this separation from from the Thessalonians it got to the point where he just he had to find out how the Thessalonians were getting along in the faith and so have a look chapter 3 verse 2 whilst Paul remained in Athens he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica (laughs) I keep pronouncing it differently back to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage them and from verse 6 let's have a look at the news from Timothy's time there from verse 6 but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love he's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you therefore brothers and sisters in all our distress and persecution we were encouraged about you because of your faith sounds a little bit like a primary school crush doesn't it you know boy meets girl they, they lock eyes across the classroom during a lesson on long division they think they like each other but they're not really sure so the girl wonders aloud how can I find out And her best friend takes matters into her own hands, but she won't ask the boy directly. No, that would be too obvious. So she asks his best mate whether first boy likes first girl. Then best mate has to ask first boy and get the answer and report it back to her best friend, who then reports back to first girl. And you think none of this matters because even if they do like each other, they're never going to talk anyway, are they? It all seems quite inefficient. But friends, it was back in the days... Before, the telephone and then the internet totally changed the pace of communication. I mean, if you wanted to find out how someone was doing, you either had to be next to him to ask them. If you weren't in the same place, you had to send a friend to find out. Well, that's what Paul does. Stranded in Athens, he desired that solidarity so keenly, he sent his loyal lieutenant Timothy to find out and report back. And when Timothy reported back, Paul was delighted not only that they were doing well, but that the Thessalonians had a similar longing to be with him. In other words, the desire for fellowship was reciprocated. It was not like he sent them a poem and they thought they were being pranked. And I reckon there is something about that desire that is very instructive for us. Because I think our experience of the Christian life would be revolutionised if we could capture... Or bottle, maybe only 20% of the longing and the valuing of fellowship there. I reckon we find it easy to give up on fellowship. Maybe it seems like just a bridge too far in our busy and overscheduled life. Seems like the easiest ball to drop when things get too much. Uh, It was the thing that we used to do, we used to enjoy before everything got so complicated. And you know, maybe it's not just the, the busyness of hectic schedules. Maybe it's that we just feel bruised by one another. Uh, most often by thoughtlen- thoughtlessness rather than by malicious intent. And maybe we just had such lofty expectations of one another, they were always going to be disappointed. But it's just as possible that those disappointments and those bruises and those hurts are justly felt. And we're too gun-shy to re-enter the fray of fellowship. And we think, man, those religions that are built on quiet and isolated meditation sound appealing, where you don't have to talk to anyone, (laughs) let alone people not of your choosing. I mean, I get it. I, um, I got the bruises. And I've caused the bruises. And so have you. But this picture in 1 Thessalonians, it corrects the rose-coloured view of a privately practised Christian faith and it urges us to reprioritize and to recommit and to re-enter the fray. And to not do so is uh, not only, you know, kind of sad or a lost opportunity, it's, it's dangerous. And it's especially dangerous to those who are navigating the Christian faith on their own. Maybe who don't come from Christian households, or whose husbands and wives aren't believers, or who are single or widowed or isolated in many and various ways and are looking for an an alternative Christian family. Yeah, it's Father's Day. What about single mums and single dads? You might have been estranged from their children for a variety of reasons. I'm not advocating any particular cause, but I just wonder whether this group of people could be an alternative family for people who are isolated and people who are navigating life and faith on their own because I bet they have a desire for fellowship. Well, as it turns out, we re-enter the fray not only because of that desire or that longing for fellowship but secondly, because there is a joy in fellowship, in solidarity that matches the longing for it. There's a joy in fellowship been uh, reflecting this week on the things that I count as joy in my life and I realize that uh, many of them are pure escapism and maybe that's okay I'm sure that's true for you you know I find joy in riding my bicycle and my mood has been down this year because I've not been able to ride very much and and I've brought that down mood upon the whole household at times and the other thing that brings me joy it's just it's just eating ice cream I mean, eating in general, but ice cream in particular. People say, do you want to live a long life, Scott? I'm like, not if I don't get to eat ice cream. No. The worst thing is I've become an ice cream snob. (laughs) It's terrible. doesn't seem right, does it, that most of our joys are, um, they're just escapism, you know, Um, really self-medications for the difficulties of modern life. doesn't seem right that we flog ourselves so hard for five days in order to enjoy the two at the end or that we really live for our next holiday our next next trip although I get how important weekends and holidays and uh, simple pleasures and exercise is but you know the way the apostle Paul talks about the Thessalonians it makes an indelible impression upon my own spirit have a look at chapter 2 verse 19 for what is our hope our joy Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Or again in chapter 3 verse 8 and 9, following the positive report back from Timothy. For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? I mean, it just sounds over the top, doesn't it? The crown in which we'll glory when Jesus comes. For now we really live. Come on, Paul. You're meant to be the cold clinician who loves doctrine but not people. Listen to yourself, man. You're going to get yourself a reputation for being soft. Maybe you think, um, well, you know, the relationship, it's in the honeymoon phase. Uh, It's early days in the bromance. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that. Except that he's about to get stuck into them in the later chapters of this letter and in the next letter of two Thessalonians. So we actually can't explain it away. Paul's longing to be with these believers is matched by an intense and jealous joy that they are growing and persevering in Christ, as Sazon mentioned in the intro. Once we've been reawakened to the priority of fellowship, from Paul's great desire to be with them, we might ask ourselves whether we have the same joy in one another and in particular in one another's Christian growth and perseverance. Because it's not like the Apostle Paul longed to be with them because he just liked hanging out with them, that they were a real fun crowd who knew how to have a good time. I mean, he was jealous for their growth. See, why did he send Timothy, chapter 2, verse 2? It was to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. What caused him to explode with kind of ridiculous emotion? Now we really live. Well, in 3 verse 8, it's that they were standing firm in their faith, growing, persevering in their Christian belief. In fact, what does he pray for them in verses 11 to 13, other than an opportunity to be united with them in person? It's that they'd grow in love and have a strengthened heart that led to increasing godliness. So as believers, uh, I think it behoves us, uh, and I just like saying the word behove, but I think it behoves us to maximise the opportunities that we have to grow one another in love and faith and perseverance. And it can happen in very small ways. I mean, like coming on time. It's a small way that makes a big difference. Now I understand, those of you guys with young kids, understand getting shoes, on children is like preparing a nation for nuclear conflict, right? I do understand that. I've had three, I think. Uh, And so I thank you for it. And I want to say to you, it's worth it. I I, I see you wrestling them down here in the first two songs like you're the crocodile hunter. And you might be thinking, what's the point? Well, you've actually encouraged my heart not to lay a guilt trip on you. (laughs) Uh, Coming on time, man, um, you, you know those opening two songs in Day time, you know it's not margin, right, for disorganization I'm not cracking you here. I, I'm just saying, you know what, what we're doing in those two songs? We're saying to one another, do you know God is amazing? Can you believe that he loves us enough to send his son to be with us and to die for us and rise again? Can you believe it? We are, we must be the most fortunate people on earth. That's what we're doing in those first two songs. So it's worth being on time. Helps us to be ready to welcome newcomers. Um, You know, I think looking for encouragements and uh, opportunities to be encouraged. Sticking around afterwards, having a coffee or just staying in the building, whatever it is, having a conversation that goes beyond the ashes. It's fine for it to start there, let it go beyond there, or whatever particular stress you've been navigating over the weekend. I mean, why not just decide, I'm going to carve out two hours of my Sunday, two hours of my week, I'm going to to do it all right. I'm going to get there on time, I'm going to participate meaningfully, mindfully in worship and learning, I'm going to stick around afterwards to have a good conversation i mean what if you spent two minutes preparing yourself and your family as you made your way to church you get in your car maybe you pray out loud lord we are meeting with your people today because we love them with a mere fraction of the ferocity with which you love them help each one of us in this here jalopy actually manly people you guys don't have jalopies help each one of us in this here nice middle-class car to encourage one other person. And in your mercy, encourage each of us in one notable way. Amen. Is that 45 seconds? Not even. See, I think if you did that, it would revolutionise your time here, man. I think you'd, you'd be like, I want to join a growth group. I want to carve out two hours midweek for fellowship, prayer and study. Because you sense that you both needed it and you contribute meaningfully to it. In this passage, there is both a longing for fellowship and a joy in that solidarity which compels and coaxes us to strengthen and encourage other believers. Now thirdly today, it's worth recognising that there will always be hindrances to the sort of longing and love and encouragement and strengthening that we read about between the Apostle Paul and his beloved Christian friends in Thessalonica. There'll always be things that make that solidarity difficult to achieve. I want, I want to look at a couple of these examples. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 18. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. And then again in chapter 3, verses 2 to 5, we sent Timothy. Why? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well we're destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. See, in the first example, Satan blocked the way for Paul to return to the Thessalonians. When he talks about Satan, he's not talking about a cartoon devil. It's not a cheeky caricature with horns and a grin who likes it hot, frolics around poking people in the buttocks with a pitchfork. He is talking about the personal force of evil, which is not hard to believe in. If you can believe in a personal force of good like God, it's likewise not hard to believe in if you've ever watched the news. When he talks about Satan blocking his way, I don't think he means like he's one of those lollipop men, can't gum through here, mate. He's saying there are forces beyond his control, forces opposed to him, opposed to God, which made it more than difficult to get back to the Thessalonians. Probably the sort of Jewish op- opposition you read about in Acts 16, 17 and 18. And then in chapter 3, trials and temptations threatened to derail the Thessalonians, and in so doing would jeopardise their their fellowship with the Apostle Paul. That might be external opposition, right? might be ridicule of their neighbours, perhaps even violence. Maybe it's internal temptations, the temptation to sin, the temptation to give up worshipping the true and living God in favour of the idols they had previously served. Perhaps it's the temptation to just give up, you know, full stop, give up. You know, there's always going to be hindrances to growing in love, And faith and endurance, which means there will always be hindrances to the encouragement we can bring to each other. In our day, it might just be the busy schedule. Well, ask yourself, what can we pair back here? Uh, In our day, we just might have given up the habit of fellowship. Uh, I want to say, re enter the fray anew. In our day, it might be public ridicule. The other day, I was watching a British comedian who actually wasn't all that funny. So he was bad at his job, wasn't he? (laughs) I mean, you took out all the profanities and all the vulgar jokes about sex, there wasn't much left. Uh, And so I turned him off, but not before that part of his routine where he asks if anyone in the audience is a Christian. A man named Andreas yells out, signifying that he's not ashamed to be called a believer, though he must have known what was coming. Andreas, says the comedian, very nice to have you in. Uh, Andreas uh, I've got an offer just for you. Would you be interested in buying some magic beans? And the crowd laughs heartily. And so the comedian continues. I'm only asking you, Andreas, because you are so effing gullible. I'm sure you won't mind me sharing that with the group, Andreas, because you know you effing are. So the crowd laughs again. Thousands of people, this time at Andreas himself. So comedian makes... Uh, further blasphemous jokes about Jesus, Joseph and Mary in a way that I wouldn't have been surprised if he was struck down by God right then and there. Although that would have changed the Netflix rating. Now Andreas, he wasn't beaten, he wasn't imprisoned. His home or his church weren't bombed. Still, that sort of ridicule is very discouraging, isn't it? I mean, we fear it in our homes, those of us that come from non-Christian households. Fear in our workplaces, especially, but also in our social networks. You know, a- Andreas, he could have been so disheartened that he took a step out of fellowship. Very possible. Christian belief, it's so foolish, right? But what if, alternatively, the Sunday after, somebody from his church discovered Andreas' steadfastness, not only in that theater, but in front of a Netflix audience of millions? And organized so that when he walked into church the next day, people cheered him. Wouldn't that be great? Man, I, I want to I write to him with the words of verse 7 and say, Andreas, in all of our distress, I was encouraged by you, man, because of your faith. How can I thank God enough for you in return for all the joy I have in the presence of God because of you, Andreas? I'm going to hunt him down in heaven. One afternoon pour him a long cold drink and we'll be sitting on the brink of something majestic like the Grand Canyon and I'll say, Andreas, tell me your story. My afternoon is wide open. There's always going to be hindrances, friends. There's always going to be discouragements and when that happens we might withdraw from fellowship at the very time we need to get right in the middle of it. There will often be hindrances Trials, temptations, and the like. Our New Testaments, even in this chapter, are very clear about it. But we need to use them to drive us back into fellowship and not away from it. Well, finally today, and quickly, there will also be an end to fellowship, at least in its imperfect earthly sense. Because the return of Jesus will bring, among many things, perfect fellowship. Look in your Bibles there, it struck me as very interesting that uh, at the end of chapter 2 and at the end of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul mentions the coming of Jesus. Chapter 2 verse 19, what is the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? And then chapter 3 verse 13, may he, that's Jesus, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. At the coming of Christ, all that longing for enriching fellowship will end. It will be realised, it will be fulfilled, it will be fulfilling. With no more bruises and disappointments. At the coming of Christ, all the hindrances to fellowship will end too. All the obstacles removed. At that time, the Thessalonians will be like a reward, a victor's crown for the Apostle Paul. That hope will be realized. And we might not refer to our fellowship in quite those terms, but the goodness we have enjoyed, it'll be amplified and magnified and the disappointments forgotten and gone when our imperfect earthly fellowship is perfected at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an end, friends, for which we are presently waiting, which is why we've called our series in 1 Thessalonians, Pleasing God While We Wait. And we've seen today, aided by some gushing penmanship from the Apostle Paul, that a significant way we please God while we wait is by doing that in solidarity, together with one another. Friends, let's give ourselves to it. And we're now going to celebrate that as we share in the Lord's Supper that Bruce is going to lead.